Thank you, guys. It's a great morning. Hey, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4. Open your Bibles there to 1 Peter 4. Been walking through this little letter, uh, 1 Peter, and this morning we're in 1 Peter chapter number 4. And uh, our sermon title this morning is Prepare for Persecution. Preparing for Persecution. Um, I remember when, uh, when our boys were little, uh, we used to take a family vacation to the beach every single year. That was our that was our deal, and, uh, and we would go to the beach, and, uh, and when my boys were little, my, my youngest one was only about two or three, and my oldest was about five years after that, six or seven, whatever that was, would be, but, uh, but they were little, and I, and I, got, a, I got a little boat, uh, uh, just a little old float, you know, a little boat, because I thought, man, we're going to have a good time. I'm going I'm to show them how to have a good time at the beach, and, uh, and so I blew up this little boat, and I remember the first time I took it out. Uh, I, had, I had my boys in the boat, <clears throat> and I had a little string in the front, and I'm pulling them, and I'm backing up, and mom's up there on the, on the beach, and I'm like waving at mama, and I'm pulling that little rope out there, pulling that little rope out there, and, th- and then all of a sudden, a rogue wave just came and got us, man, knocked us out. I didn't even see it coming, and, uh, and I was like, oh my gosh, man, I was picking up my boys and hoping they wouldn't drown in all that foam water and everything, and, uh, and, I, and, and I thought about that when I was, when I was looking at this text, and, and, and the whole thing uh, was I wasn't prepared. I didn't know the wave was coming. I wasn't prepared for this wave, and it totally took me out, took me by surprise. And, uh, and, 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 and had, I, had I been prepared, had I seen it coming, uh, I would have known how to navigate it, but I didn't see it coming. And, uh, and, and Peter is writing to believers, and he's wanting us to understand that, listen, in this world, you're going to go through difficulties. In fact, I believe Peter would be one that would totally expect to have persecution happen to you. Totally expect and be prepared, in fact, to be executed for your faith because that's ultimately what happened to Peter and he knew it would happen before he even wrote this letter. He knew that's what was awaiting for him. And so he's writing. In fact, I think that Peter would find it uh, uh, really, really, I think it would blow his mind to know that today you can live life in the United States of America and, 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 and preach Jesus Christ freely with without any persecution in life. I think that would blow his mind had he known that when he was writing this letter. But he's writing and he's saying, I want to equip you and encourage you for the ways of persecution that are going to be coming your way. And so he's writing this letter. And, and, and we're at this passage of Scripture. and It's an interesting passage of Scripture. Uh, but to totally understand it, I believe we have to understand what it even means to be saved. Uh, uh, to totally understand where Peter's coming from, I think we need to understand salvation. You see, when we talk about salvation, most people, many people believe that salvation is all about saving me from hell. When the fact of the matter is, although I'm grateful to God that my salvation saves me from hell, Jesus Christ didn't come to save me from hell, although that is a byproduct. He came to save me from my sins. He came to save me from my sins. Matthew, over in Matthew's gospel, chapter number one and verse number 21, the Bible says this, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And so when you're talking about being saved from sins, there's, there's, there's a, 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 what happens when we get saved is we experience an immediate salvation and that would be that, that he saves us and he says, I don't want you to practice sin. I'll enable you and empower you such that you won't have to practice sin anymore. But ultimately our salvation that we will experience one day 
is the, the eternal separation from sin. In other words, today we, we, he's saying, I don't want you to practice sin anymore, but ultimately we will be separated from the very presence of sin one day. Now the only way that will happen in my lifetime, or it won't happen in my lifetime, the only way that that will take place is either one of two ways, either the rapture of the church or death. I will, not, I will not experience my ultimate salvation, the purpose for which I've been saved. I won't experience that until I've either tasted death or been raptured. And so, and so with that in mind, what Peter is writing about here, we've got to have an eternal perspective. Our perspective on things in life needs to change from the temporary to the eternal. And when they are eternal, that's the whole reason why the psalmist was able to write over in Psalm chapter 116 in verse number 15. The psalmist writes and he says, hey, uh, uh, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Most of the time we look at death from this side. Most of the time we look at death from a temporary perspective. And we, all we see in death is the missed tomorrows. Whereas God Almighty is saying, precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why? Because I came to save you from your sins. And until you taste and walk through the doorway of death, you will forever be in the presence of sin. But once you have walked through the doorway of death, your salvation is complete. You're removed from the presence of sin in life. And so it's a perspective, a matter of perspective. Now here, Peter's writing and he's simply saying, hey, prepare for persecution in this lifetime. Why? Because we live life in a sinful world. We live life in a broken world and it's gonna come your way. So be prepared when it comes. How do you be prepared for persecution? First Peter 4, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says this. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of his time in the flesh is no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all of this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And God help us as we walk through this passage of scripture, uh, because uh, as, this, as was true of, of, of the passage of scripture two weeks ago, the same is true today. If you're not careful, you can find yourself in a ditch uh, uh, with misinterpretation. And so God help us, give us clarity today as we look at this passage of scripture. How do we prepare for persecution? Number one, you gotta be prepared to die for Jesus. Be prepared to die for Jesus. You know, it says therefore here, and in verse number one, therefore, since Christ 
has suffered in the flesh. Uh, therefore, in other words, he's referring back to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. He's referring back to that passage of scripture that we were in two weeks ago where, where we know that because of, of the, 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 the price that Jesus Christ paid, because of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, we now have the ultimate victory. Because the just died for the unjust, today we experience victory through his suffering. And I'm grateful to God for that. Jesus Christ himself, our Savior, was crucified. He was persecuted. In fact, we're to be encouraged in that way. Uh, the, the, the writer of Hebrews even encourages us in Hebrews chapter number 12 and in verse number 2, uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, he's saying, hey, listen, Jesus Christ was persecuted, ultimately crucified. He paid a price. Don't expect any different along the way. It will happen. And so he says, arm yourselves, arm yourselves. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also for the same purpose. In other words, put on the armor. And, there, and there's a different passage of scripture, Ephesians 6, 14. The Bible says this, <clears throat> when we prepare for battle along the way, stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, uh, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then he talks about prayer. But he's just simply saying, hey, picture yourself as a soldier. Uh, picture yourself as a soldier and, and, and arm yourselves for battle. You know what a great soldier does? A great soldier understands, number one, he's prepared for battle, but one of the ways he prepares for battle is he makes a decision or she makes a decision. They make a decision as a soldier and what that decision is this. If it comes down to it, I'm willing to pay the ultimate price for the cause. That's what a soldier will do. That's a soldier that's equipped. The soldier that's equipped is not gonna say, man, if it, if it, if it gets too hot in the kitchen, I'm out. No, a good soldier says, there's a real chance, there's a real chance that I'll lose my life. But when I put this uniform on, it's a declaration that I'm ready for battle. I'm ready and willing to pay the price. And that's what Peter is simply saying. Arm yourselves, arm yourselves for the same purpose as Jesus Christ. When you're talking about with the same purpose, Jesus Christ came to do the will of the Father, and that's what he's calling us to do. John chapter number six and verse number 38. John six and verse number 38. The Bible says this, <clears throat> for I have come down from heaven not to do my will or my own will, but the will of him who sent me. The will of the Father, the will of God. And that's exactly what he's calling us to do. He's not, he's not saying, hey, you, hey, I'm calling you to a suicide mission. No, he's saying, I want you to live for me. I want you to live for me, to do the will of the Father, to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But, but if that means paying the price, be willing. You know what he's saying? You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, just... Live out the songs you're singing. I mean, how many times do we, when, when you think about worship, when we gather for worship, we'll sing songs. And I think sometimes we sing songs and we don't pay attention to what we're singing. 
And, 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 and you know, at the end of the day, God knows my heart. And when, when I sing songs, wherever he leads me, you know, there's a song that we sing. It says, wherever he leads me, whatever it costs me, I will follow you, Jesus. I will follow you. And sometimes I wonder, do we sing it because it's a catchy tune or is that truly a declaration of my faith? Is it saying, hey, come what may, I'm prepared to do whatever it takes. I will live for you. I will live for you. And what Peter is simply saying is that when you make that declaration, understand this, that it may cost you along the way. It may cost you along the way. Uh, he says in verse number one, continuing, <clears throat> Because he who, who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And, and, and when you're reading this, you got to be careful because sometimes people will look at that and say, well, it's in reference to, to, to Jesus. Is, is he implying here in this statement that he has ceased from sin? Is it implying that Jesus Christ sinned? That Jesus Christ practiced sin? Which we know that to be not true. Uh, uh, because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse number 21, the Bible says this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So he's not implying at all that Jesus Christ ever sinned. Jesus never practiced sin, but what he is saying is that because of his death, he's, never, he's done with the dealing of sin. He's away from the presence of sin. He's no longer dealing with it anymore. And that's exactly what happens through the doorway of death. We're removed from sin. Jesus Christ was sinless, the Son of God. That's exactly what he was along the way. And I'm grateful to God that my salvation, although today he says, I don't want you practicing sin, ultimately one day I will be removed from the presence of sin. What a day that's going to be. I mean, think about it. Every single person in this building today, I don't care who you are, you walk through struggles, invisible struggles, because we have a flesh still that we're dying to, but at the end of the day, it's still there with us. But until that flesh totally dies, and one day it will, and I'll see Jesus Christ face to face, I'm gonna have struggles, and I'm gonna have strifes in my life because of sin, because of sin. but one day I'll be done dealing with a sin. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. But you gotta be prepared, first of all, to die. You gotta be prepared to pay the price. So in verse number two, he goes on and says, not just prepared to die for Christ, but make sure you're living for Jesus. Make sure you're living for Jesus. And in verse number two, Jesus Christ came to save me from my sin. I mean, that's what he said, right? Uh, what is my salvation? To be saved from sin. How ridiculous is it? that we continue to linger in sin. And that's what he's saying here. Live for Jesus Christ. That means stop practicing sin. And that's what he's saying in verse number two and following. He says, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And all of this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about our relationship with Jesus Christ... 
we're really not ready to live for him until we're prepared to die for him. And that's why he goes where he goes. But once we prepare to die for him, he says, I want you to live for me. Make sure you're living for me. Stop living for the lusts of the flesh. Stop living the way of the Gentiles. That's just a description, just simply saying those who are outside the family of God. Stop living like a lost person. That's what he's saying in this passage of Scripture. Stop wasting time. If I'm not doing the will of God, then I'm simply wasting, wasting what's been given to me. Wasting my salvation. Wasting the presence of the Holy Spirit of God that's been imparted into me, imputed to me. Thankful to God for his righteousness robing me. The book of Romans says it like this in Romans chapter number 6, verse 8 and following. Romans chapter 6, verses 8 and following. But God... <clears throat> Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Christ, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. In other words, I, recognizing what has happened, the spiritual reality within my life, to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying, man, how ridiculous is it? In fact, he begins this whole chapter by saying, hey, what in the world are we doing? Are we continuing to live in sin so that grace may abound? Certainly not. How ridiculous is that? And yet, how many times do we practice that? As believers, how many times do we look at sin as if it's not a big deal? We look at sin and say, man, everybody's doing it. Don't ever, don't ever use that excuse for anything. Just because everybody's doing it doesn't justify it, whatever that might be. I mean, don't, don't use that as, as a defense for my foolishness along the way. Just because everybody else is doing it. <clears throat> and he goes on to this list. He says, here's the characteristics of lost people. Here's the characteristics of lost people. He says, for the time past is sufficient. In other words, you've already wasted enough time. Pre-salvation is what he's talking about. For you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lust. And he goes on down. In other words, he's saying, here's, here's some characteristics that characterize a lost person. Ought not to be a part of who you are as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so in, in this list, he says sensuality. In other words, he's saying, hey, to practice if it feels good, do it. So that's, that's not a part of a believer's life. That's, that's a lost person's lifestyle. Don't have any part of that. The lust, the sinful passions. Don't let them overrule and override and be the driving factor of my life. This is drunkenness, drunkenness, intoxication. And, and that always leads to the question. That always leads to the question, well, what is Drunkenness. That's a question that everybody oftentimes asks. What's drunkenness? Because if you're looking at legally what is drunkenness, well, that varies from state to state. What's drunkenness? Drunkenness is, is to be controlled by alcohol. When does the control begin? Well, I believe drunkenness begins with the first sip. Drunkenness, carousing. What do you mean carousing? That means just aimless, up to no good. You know what I'm talking about? You, you, you know, you, you, you talk to kids, what are you doing? I'm just, just hanging. <laughs> I'm just driving. I'm just kind of crowd looking for something. You know, if you're just out there aimlessly looking for something, something will find you. Saying, you know, 
Be more intentional. Be more intentional than that. Drinking parties. It's drinking parties. What do you mean drinking parties? In other words, we're living in a day where, man, <clears throat> even when you start talking about these things, and I know that, that, that there are people here that, man, your defenses have gone up and your walls have gone up, and it's like, ah! I'm just telling you, drinking parties ought not to be on my list of things where I go and hang out. I know that's pretty commonly practiced today, but he says that's, that's not, that's not, that ought not to be on your list. You know what's wrong with us as a church? You know what's wrong with us as a church? And I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the church. You know what's wrong with the church? You know when you go into a dark room and the darkness is overwhelming, but the longer you linger in a dark room, your eyes adjust. And it's like, well, the darkness isn't that dark anymore. And he's saying, you know what? You linger at those parties. You linger at those places. You linger around those things long enough. And you know what? It just doesn't seem dark anymore. And you know what happens? Whenever we shine light into darkness and your, and your eyes have grown accustomed to darkness, you know what happens? The light's hard to handle. You know what I'm talking about? You ever been there? You know what it's like. I mean, my parents used to get me out of bed that way. Come in in the morning. Hey, I need you to get up. Man, if my feet weren't on the floor by the time they left my room, lights came on. You know what that did to me? Messed with my eyes, man. I mean, it agitated me. It agitated me. And we're living in a day where we, when we start addressing things like these, this list that Peter's talking about here, and we'll justify ourselves, and, and we'll make exemptions for ourselves, and we'll try to, to, try to say, hey, well, here's really what we're talking about. He just said, hey, just drinking parties. Why are you a part of that? Don't be a part of that. Don't be a part of that. What good comes from it? Abominable idolatries. In other words, man, those things that aren't even worth talking about. We're living in a day where we're practicing abominable idolatries in the light. In other words, we're living in a day where sin, sinful attitudes and sinful actions that once were hidden, things that we didn't talk about, things we didn't look at, but now they're strutting right through the television set into the living rooms of our homes. And the longer we linger, our eyes grow accustomed to the darkness, and it's not that big of a deal Peter's saying, hey, listen, it is a big deal. Jesus came to save you from sin. Why are you entertaining yourself with it anymore? Abominable idolatries. Peter says, stop wasting time. Stop wasting time. And all of this, he says in verse number four and five, they, who are they? The world religious people, sometimes religious people that are lost people. He says, in all of this, they're surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation. Not only are they surprised, but they'll malign you. But listen, at the end of the day, when you feel like, man, they're letting the good times roll over there. In verse number five, he says, hey, listen, They'll give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. You know what happens to us? If I'm living my life for Jesus Christ, 
My actions are going to cause a reaction in this world. That's what he's saying. If you're living life for Jesus Christ, know this. Your actions will cause reactions. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that the world thinks it's strange that I want to live for Jesus Christ? Thinks it's strange that I want to love like Jesus loves Thinks it's strange that I want to be faithful as Jesus was faithful. I want to be loyal as Jesus was loyal. Isn't it interesting that the world doesn't have a problem if I'm self-destructing, partaking of sinful lifestyle, but if I want to live for Jesus Christ, the world says I got a problem with that. Peter, I mean, think about Peter's own story. What about the story of Peter? Peter, uh, when Peter went into the garden the night of Jesus Christ, ultimately the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ was on trial. And do you remember what happened to him out by the fire? Remember what happened to him out by the fire? Hey, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. In other words, as long as you're identified with Jesus Christ, you don't belong here. But you deny him and, hey, you can warm up by the fire. And, and, and Peter's saying, hey, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your actions are going to cause reactions. Jesus said it. He said it in Matthew chapter 5. Remember when Jesus was talking in Matthew 5 and he preached what we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 recorded in Scripture. And right there in Matthew chapter number 5, he says, hey, you know what you are as a follower of Jesus? You know what you are? You're the salt of the earth. You're the salt of the earth. And you know what salt does? Causes a reaction. You ever been to the ocean and swallowed salt water? That's what a believer does to an unbeliever. Makes them want to gag. That's what Peter's saying. So the question is, who or what are you going to live for? saying, listen, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you're going to go through some difficulties. But you got to decide, who am I living for? Am I going to live a life for Jesus Christ? Or will I compromise along the way simply to fit in? And you know what Jesus said about that? He said this. If the salt has lost its saltiness, the distinctness, you're no longer good for anything but to just be thrown on the ground and trampled underfoot. God, help me. Help me to live the life that you have called me to live along the way. Understanding that no, I, I, I'll be out of step with the world if I'm in step with Jesus Christ. God, help me. But, 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 I don't know why, but I want to linger here for just a minute longer. And we're going to be in verse 6. And the reason I want to linger is simply because of this. The world, lost people, need to see the light. Lost people need to see Jesus Christ with skin on. They need to know that, that, that there is a God in heaven that loves them very much. Not just, not just there to judge them. And so God, help us as Christians. We need to challenge one another on these things. But when it comes to the world, they need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Because when the gospel hits them and when the Holy Spirit of God gets a hold of them, what he will do is he will change them from the inside out. And so God, help us understand our role in all of this. I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I will be out of step with the world. And when they do come against me, I'm not there to fight with them. I'm not there to argue with them. I'm there to live for Jesus Christ and love them and love them. God, help me to love them. A lot of times we expect a lost person to live like a saved one. Verse 6, he goes on. Embrace the eternal perspective. Finally, when you're talking about dealing and preparing for persecution, preparing for persecution, embrace the eternal perspective. That's a huge step. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. Uh, that though, And it goes on from there. But, but here again, here again, the second time within the last few verses of scripture that Peter's been writing. Be careful because he's not, he's not talking about a second chance after death hearing the gospel so that maybe perhaps you might get saved. He's not talking about purgatory. He's not talking about the gospel being preached after you are dead. But rather, the gospel that has been been preached to those who now are dead. In other words, they heard the gospel while they were alive. They became believers, but they're now dead. So verse number six, really, if you're wanting to look at the description, what is verse six really talking about? He's describing what it means to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. He's talking about martyrdom in verse number six. He says this. He says, for the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are just judged in the flesh as men. In other words, you know what happened along the way, man? People looked at them and judged them and said, you're not worthy to be alive, and they killed them. They're martyrs for the faith. Judged according to men, fleshly, that they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. And so you know what he's talking about? He's saying worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. You're following Jesus Christ and the world turns its back on you and they judge you. And they might even deem you as a person that they need to get rid of. Do you know what that did for you? That just ushered you. The worst that the world can possibly do to you delivered you ultimately from the presence of sin. (laughs) And as a result, you now have the privilege to experience life in the presence of Jesus Christ away from the presence of sin forever and forever and forever and forever. Living life with an eternal perspective. That's why the Apostle Paul could say it, hey, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He meant it. He understood the eternal perspective that we ought to live life with. I mean, we live life with a temporary perspective. All we can think about is the missed tomorrows on this world. And what they're saying is this. Hey, listen. For you and for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Peter was one that totally understood and expected martyrdom. He expected persecution. Jesus had a conversation with him. The very last chapter in the Gospel of John, John chapter number 21, Jesus Christ was walking down the road and he was talking to his disciples. Remember the conversation? Interesting conversation. Kind of a little bit of 
It's not funny, but it is funny. Because he's talking to Peter and he's letting Peter know, Peter, one of these days, your arm's going to be stretched out. You're going to pay the price. Remember that? And Peter's like, what about John? (laughs) What's going to happen to him? And you know what Jesus said? It's not your business, Peter. Your business is to follow me and be faithful. Follow me and be faithful. And so Peter, anticipating, expecting, knowing that ultimately I will be laying down my life for the Lord Jesus Christ, writes his letter to encourage you and me today that listen, this world may persecute you. They may turn their back on you. But good news, you'll no longer experience the presence of sin in life. So what does that look like? Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. Prepare for persecution. Worst the world can do, worst thing the world can do is usher you into the presence of Jesus Christ. What a day that will be. God help us to be found faithful. Hey, this morning, I just want to ask this question. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Do you know him as your personal Lord and Savior? God loves you. God loves you, desires an intimate relationship with you. The Bible even says it this way. John chapter 10, verse number 10. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. In other words, when we look around at the world, we see, we see the consequences of sin. We see what's happening in this world. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come, Jesus said, so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And that can only be experienced with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so my question today is, have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? We live life in a broken world. No matter if you're saved or lost, there's going to be difficult days. But you know what's good news for the, for, for the believer? This is close to hell as I'll ever get. Close to hell as I'll ever get. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Hey, if you've never called on his name, call on his name today. Would you do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer? We're going to pray, and after we pray, we're going to sing a song. And after we sing a song, maybe here today, and you'd say, you know what? I've never called on the name of Jesus. I've never been saved. It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And if you've never called on him, I'm inviting you to call on his name today. Maybe here this morning, you're in the midst of some struggles because of your faith. Today, maybe you're here and you say, man, could somebody pray with me, pray for me? We would love to have the privilege today. After we sing, you come. We'll be down front waiting for you. You come this morning. You come. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the cross, for the price that you paid. God, the just for the unjust. God, you who knew no sin became sin. You took our place, our substitute on the cross. We thank you, God, that you paid the price completely with the shedding of your blood. 
And God, I'm so thankful today that you are alive, that we have a living hope, a risen Savior. And God, I pray that we would be found faithful. Lord, until that day that we see you face to face, I pray that you'd find us faithful. Strengthen us, God. Give us boldness to share. Give us wisdom to know, God, when to speak, when to listen, how to be your hands and feet. Oh, God, I pray that we bring honor and glory to you. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.